morning. I'm Pastor Chris. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life. If you're here for the first time or watching online for the first time, we're so glad you're here. We realize you have a lot of options of what you could be doing on a beautiful day like today, and you've chosen to invest your time here in worship with us. So thank you so much. We're in the middle of this series called Mountain Monologues, as you saw on the bumper video, and it's about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, his most extensive message. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Last week, we introduced a sort of a subsection. It's going to be a three-week message series for us about generosity, praying, and fasting. And as Jesus introduced that, he said this to us, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And if we weren't sure what it means to practice our righteousness before other people, Jesus told us this, that practicing our righteousness includes giving generously, praying fervently, and fasting intentionally. So if you missed last week's message on generosity, you can look that up on newlifexn.org and watch it uh, this week or at your leisure. Uh, Today's focus is prayer. And then next week, Pastor Barry will close out this three-week subsection talking about fasting. So the key, according to Jesus, is when we give, pray, and fast, we must do it for God's glory and not so the people around us will notice. Many of the religious leaders in Jesus' day made a very big deal about their religious practice. They wanted people to know when they were giving. In fact, they blew trumpets to let people know that they were giving. They wanted people to know when they were praying. They wanted people to watch them and see them. And they wanted people to know when they were fasting. They actually put ashes on their head and they, they sort of basically went without their makeup, if you might say, so that people would know that there was something going on, that they were fasting. And Jesus said, if that's what you want, go for it. But that's the only reward you'll ever get is people's affirmation. And last week, we talked about two scoreboards, God's scoreboard and the human scoreboard. So when we do things so people will notice, then we score points on the human scoreboard. But when we do it so only God notices, then God is the one who rewards us. It's his scoreboard. So the challenge that we have once we change, once Jesus becomes Lord and Savior of our life, in fact, Jesus said the the change is so radical, the transformation from the inside out, he called it being born again, is we want people to know that we're changing. And so it's sort of, there is a tendency for us to to say, "Look, look how different I am. And Jesus applauds that difference. But the simple reality is he wants us to make the effort to point all of our love and our prayer and our, our, our uh, time of doing our religious duties, as Jesus uh, called us, our practicing our righteousness before God and not to make a deal about it with other people. So if you've been a Christian for a long time, maybe you're so mature now that you're giving half of your income away, you're praying three hours a day, and you're fasting every week. If that's the case, then the only one who should know that is God, your husband or wife, if you're married, and your accountability partner. Now, Jesus doesn't mention husband, wife, accountability partner, but I add that in there because that's not practicing your righteousness before other people. What that's doing is saying, I am so um, sure that I want to grow in all of these areas that I want to make sure that I'm held accountable because even the most disciplined among us will have a tendency to let those things slide if we're not being held accountable. And it would be wonderful if God was our only accountability partner that we needed, but in our lives, it's sort of nice to have someone that we can see face to face. And so as we're practicing our righteousness, and we're not to do it for the crowds, but it is an important thing and a helpful thing, 
for us to have somebody that knows that we're growing. So actually, somebody can help us with that process. Now let's turn uh, to this week's practice of righteousness. It's prayer. And before we turn to the scripture and look in Matthew chapter 6, let's look at the take-home point. If you're new, watching online for the first time, the take-home point is the one point we draw from the Word of God that we want to think about, reflect, and then live out in the week ahead. And here it is. It's really an exciting one. It says, prayer releases God's kingdom in our lives. Prayer releases God's kingdom in our lives. What does that mean? It means that Jesus told us right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that this is about the kingdom. This is about coming into a relationship with God in such a way that the kingdom of God is in us and then it starts to be showing forth in the world. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. Yes, we're Americans and this week we're celebrating that, but we're first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And as we read all of these uh, messages from Jesus, it's really one message, but we're breaking it down into smaller messages for, for our purposes, we find out what it means to live as the kingdom of God. And when we pray, the kingdom of God is released in our lives. That's what we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, or if you have your Mountain Monologues booklet, it's on page 27. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. Before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are here and that you are hearing us, that you are present in our lives, that wherever we go, the highest mountain, the depths of the sea, you are there. God, we thank you today that as we turn to your word, that you will open us by the power of your Holy Spirit to it so that we can not only hear the words but understand them and then live them out in your truth and love. We pray for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus said, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So Jesus started teaching about prayer the same way he started teaching about giving. He said, and when you pray. Jesus assumed that we would pray just as he assumed that we would give generously if we are in developing a relationship with the living God of the universe in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are going to give, we're going to pray, we're going to fast. Not if we're going to pray, but when we pray. And and actually, building a relationship with God focuses on a relationship of prayer because prayer is nothing more or less than communicating with God. It's speaking to God and hearing from God, listening to Him. Just like every relationship is a two-way speaking and listening kind of thing, In the same way, when we pray, God hears and he speaks to us. Here at New Life, we've said this hundreds of times. I really think it's hundreds of times. Prayer is not a substitute for action. It's an action for which there's no substitute. 
Donald Bailey, a theologian back in the 1920s, penned those words, and they're still true. So when we pray, our lives changed. Jesus is the Son of God, and he prayed every day with his Heavenly Father. So if Jesus, the Son of God, needs to pray, then we certainly need prayer in our lives. So Jesus warned us of a pitfall that we can face when we pray. He said this, You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So Jesus had warned us, his disciples really, and, and us through them, not to make a, make a display of our giving like the hypocrites did. That would be the Pharisees and other religious leaders. They actually blew trumpets, as I said, to get people to notice when they gave. But Jesus is saying here, don't be like those hypocrites who stand in the synagogues, you know, with their hands raised and on the street corners so everybody can say, look how good they are. Look, they're praying. They're standing there for half an hour, an hour. They're praying. That's not what we're supposed to do. So does that mean that we should never pray in public? No, it doesn't mean that at all. What Jesus was saying isn't that we shouldn't pray in public, that we shouldn't pray in public like the hypocrites who only do it for the show of it so people will affirm them. In fact, Jesus prayed in public. Jesus prayed aloud so everybody heard before he raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus prayed in front of his disciples the night before he was crucified. It's a very long prayer. What Jesus was saying is we all know when somebody's praying in public, whether they're really praying to God or whether they're praying to the audience. You've heard somebody, maybe even just in a small group, where they're praying, but they're not really praying to God. They're sort of trying to give us a lesson, right? That's not what we're supposed to do. What we're supposed to do when we pray in public is to direct our attention to God. But Jesus said, don't be like that. And then he added something that we are supposed to do. He said, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus means for us to pray one-to-one with God, our Heavenly Father. And the, the reality is Jesus does not call us to isolate ourselves very often. In fact, when Jesus sent out the 12 uh, to do the first uh, mission experience they would ever have where they would go out and preach and teach and, and you know, heal people and cast out demons, he didn't send them out one by one. He sent them out two by two. He sent them out together. And we go all the way back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis. And when God creates the first man, there's no woman. And God says, it's not good for the man to be alone. We were created for community. We were created to be together. But Jesus says there's one good time to be alone, and that's when we pray. So there is a time that isolation is a good thing. It's when we do this one-to-one prayer with our Heavenly Father. So in that one-to-one interaction, it says God, re- God rewards us, and that reward is God's kingdom is released through our prayer. So what does it look like when God's kingdom is released? Well, it can look like a lot of things. The very first thing it looks like is we have a deeper sense of relationship and fellowship with God, our Heavenly Father. Sometimes He releases resources. We need money. We need Um, a place to live. We need a job. And God releases those things as we pray. Sometimes God releases healing. Sometimes he releases faith to take the next step when we don't know where the next step is leading, but God does. And we trust him in that. In all of those ways and many more, God releases his kingdom when we pray. Now, after we put our hands in our lives into the hands of God, we have to believe that what he has for us is what's best for us. 
And so if we want God's scoreboard and we want God's reward, then what we need to do is we need to simply trust him and turn to him one-to-one, first, last, and in between. In our lives, we go to God first in every situation. So Jesus tells us another pitfall that we need to avoid when we pray. He says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. That last statement is one of my favorite statements in all of Scripture. God knows what I need. God knows what you need, what we all need, before we even ask him. And so some people say, well, then why should we even pray? If God already knows what we need, then why do we need to pray? Well, because we're developing a relationship. And in a relationship, we develop this communication back and forth. And and let's use a human illustration. When a baby's born, what can the baby communicate to his or her mom and dad? Well, I'm hungry and I need a diaper change. That's basically it. That's all that that the baby can communicate. Now, if the mom and dad respond to those basic needs... And care and love, care for and love the child, over time what happens is he learns to ask, he gets his words, you know, and he learns to ask for what he needs. She learns to thank mom and dad for what they've received. There's actually a two-way communication process develops. Now these are imperfect human beings with imperfect children, and in that process, the mom and dad eventually come to know what that child needs even before he or she asks. And what Jesus says is, your heavenly father is perfect. He obviously knows what we need before we ask. And I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he knows what 7 billion people need before they even ask him. But there's never been a time when one of us offered a prayer up to God and God went, whoa, I never saw that coming. You know, God always knew it was coming. God knows what we're going to ask. Even when we ask for silly things or, or things that we don't need or things that will hurt us, God knew that was coming. And in our relationship with him, as it draws draws closer and closer, we trust him to give us the best answer, even when it's the answer that we don't want to have. So what Jesus is telling us when we pray is this relationship is so crucial and so important. Now, Jesus says next, pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on, on earth as it is in heaven. So the first two words of that prayer, our father, would have given the Pharisees heart attacks, almost literally, because they believed that God was so holy, so transcendent, so distant that you could never use a personal name for God. In fact, when the name of God was recorded in scripture, which God told us his name when he had his interaction with Moses, remember Moses said, well, if I'm supposed to go back and tell Pharaoh to release you and tell the people, the Israelites who were slaves in Egypt, if I'm supposed to get them to believe that you sent me, what's your name? And God has the coolest name ever, I am. In fact, in Hebrew, it means I was, I am, I will be. It's, and in and, and Hebrew is Yahweh or Jehovah. The reason that those are so different, Yahweh, Jehovah, is there aren't any vowels in the Hebrew language that we have in the written form. It's just consonants. So we have to fill in the vowels. And you can get Yahweh out of it or you can get Jehovah out of it. But in any case, God gives a name. And what God did when he gave us that name, when Jesus said, pray like this, our Father, what he was saying is God is personal. God is a personal being. Yes, he's holy. Yes, he's distant. Yes, he's other. But he's also loving. He's also caring. 
He also is for us. He's with us all the time. So God as Father is infinitely loving, caring, and for us. He isn't just the best you know, human dad multiplied times a 10 or 100 or a 1,000. He's absolutely perfect, and he's absolutely for us. So Jesus wanted us to understand that. Remember, he knows what we need before we ask. That's the kind of infinitely caring being he is. So then Jesus said, remember to pray, hallowed be your name. Hallowed, it means honored, respected. It means holy and set apart. So we're to remember that that God who is so close to us that we can call him our father is also that transcendent God who is holy and deserving of our fear and respect and awe as well. And then Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if you're really observant, you'll notice that I sort of changed the way I said that from the way the ESV says it. I said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, comma, as it is in heaven. The ESV says, your kingdom come, your will be done, comma, on earth as it is in heaven. Why did I change that? Well, first of all, there is no punctuation in the Greek New Testament. So you can put the comma where it makes sense. And about 25 years ago, I was in a worship service, and I was standing, saying the Lord's Prayer, standing next to a missionary from Jamaica. And as we said the Lord's Prayer, everybody's saying the Lord's Prayer, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done. And we all paused, and he said, on earth. He just kept on going. Your will be done, your, or your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. And a, and a little light bulb went off in my head, and I went, that's right. What he's saying there is that God's kingdom comes when God's will is done on the earth as it's already done in heaven. God's will is always done in heaven. And Jesus told us that we are here to have God's kingdom released in our lives. And when we pray and when we do God's will, his kingdom comes here. And now, Jesus once said, don't say there's the kingdom of God, there's the kingdom of God. He said the kingdom of God is within you. And it's among us. And eventually when Jesus returns, it will be in a specific place but right now, it's whenever we don't get angry at our brothers and sisters, not just don't kill them, but we don't get angry, that's the kingdom of God right there. When we say yes or no, and we do our yes and don't do our no, that's the kingdom of God right there. That's what Jesus is saying. So in our lives, when you and I pray for God's kingdom to come and for God's will to be done on earth as it's already done in heaven, that's how God's, another way that God's will and power is released and his kingdom is released among us. So then Jesus said, pray this, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus wants us to acknowledge our need for God to provide everything, that God is our provider. Now, that was easy for the people in Jesus' day to remember because they had to grow their food, whether it was vegetables or whether it was animals. And they had to, you know, kill the animal. They had to cut the, 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 the vegetables up or the grain. They had to pound it and make it into bread. And they had to cook their bread, bake their bread every day. They couldn't go to the refrigerator, which is what we do, right? Whenever, last night I was hungry when I went home from church, all I did was open up the fridge. And there was a beef stick from Dave's Meats. That's what I had, okay? So, I mean, I'm not saying you have to have a beef stick from Dave's Meats, but I'm saying you could because it's there, right? Or you go to your pantry and there's all this food. So it's hard for us sometimes to remember that all that food and even the refrigerator and the pantry are provided by God. Those are gifts from God. And so that's what Jesus is saying. Remember, God is your provider. And then after that, he says, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Let me just stop right there. Okay, debts. We think of what? Money. But he's talking about sin. 
He's talking about the sins and hurts, and sometimes it's a sin when we don't pay our debts. But that's a, another thing, another message for another day. And then he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you in their trespasses. And we think of somebody stepping on our property when we put up signs that they're not allowed. Well, that's a sin because it's breaking the law. But trespass here means sin. So debt, trespass, both mean sin. And he says, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So the ESV only records 29 words in saying, our Father, the ones in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 29 words, but 54, almost twice as many words, are devoted to forgiveness and being delivered from temptation. So why the big difference? It's because forgiveness is such a crucial reality in our relationship with God. Think about this. If Jesus didn't die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, to forgive us, there wouldn't be any relationship between us and God because forgiveness is required from God in order for us to be in relationship because we've trespassed, we've, we've debted, we've sinned against him. And so Jesus died so that we can have this new life. Now, here's the thing that bothers me. It says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors, right? So if that's the case, that means God's only going to forgive me the way I forgive you. In some cases, I'm in trouble. You know, I mean, I have a hard time forgiving. I don't know if maybe you, none of you do, but Jesus is telling us that forgiveness is the key. So when Jesus died on the cross, as he was having his hands and feet nailed to that cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, I don't know if you realize it, but in that process of forgiveness, Jesus broke the devil's back. The devil was probably standing there watching as Jesus was dying, thinking, yes, I finally won. This is what I've been waiting for, for eternity almost. And he's dead, and I won. Because the devil thinks that might makes right. He thinks that, you know, lying and cheating and stealing and deceiving and all of those things are fair game for anybody who wants to really be in charge. But as Jesus died on the cross, he canceled out the impact of all of those things. For those of us who trust him, as Savior and Lord. And so we don't, have to, we don't have to live in the devil's realm. We don't have to do what the devil wants us to do. We can live in love and forgiveness in our lives. Now, when we forgive others as God first forgave us, that cycle of forgiveness flows and it continues. And the truth of the matter is this. God's kingdom power is released through forgiveness, both God's forgiveness and ours. And if you're sitting there right now thinking, well, how can I forgive, and you have a name of somebody that you're having a really hard time forgiving. How can I forgive him? How can I forgive her? After all that person has done to me, how am I? I can't forgive. And if you're in that situation where you can't forgive, what do you do? Well, you do what Jesus told us to do anytime we find ourselves powerless to do something that God commands us to do in Jesus' name. We turn to him. We turn to his power, the power of the Holy Spirit. And we, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we let that person go. We forgive the person. Now, here's the thing I, I want you to understand. Forgiveness does not mean that I forget what happened to me. It doesn't mean that I say that what happened to me wasn't painful, that it wasn't crushing. Forgiveness does not mean that we even are going to be friends with that person ever again. 
And the person that we haven't forgiven might already be dead, so there might not be any hope of restoration in relationship. And so it might not change anything about the other person when we forgive, but it changes us from the inside out that pain, that poison that's inside of us is, is released. And we start to experience the love and the truth and the life of God once again. That's what forgiveness does. That's why Jesus said it was so important that we forgive those who sin against us. Because in that process of being forgiven and then forgiving, we continue to receive forgiveness so we can continue to forgive. Jesus packed so much into these few verses. And then... uh, he went on to preach something else. And, and we have taken this message, which is 20 or 21 sections. It depends on how you divide it up. We did it in 20. Some people would make it into 21. But 21 sections, but it's one message. When Jesus says, when you pray, that's a little piece of this big message, right? And, and we've divided that message into three messages, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, And so we take it into these three things and we say, when we give, we're supposed to do it generously. When we pray, we do it fervently. When we fast, we do it intentionally. And because Matthew recorded the message, we can divide it up in that way or or we can go back in our minds and we can say, yeah, in the week before that, we talked about what it means to love our enemies and to be perfect. And before that, we talked about, you know, not retaliating against our enemies and, and going the second mile. And you understand, it just ripples out. And the Sermon on the Mount is just a small portion of Matthew's gospel. And Matthew's gospel is just a small portion of the New Testament. And the New Testament is literally a small portion of the whole Bible. And the, where I'm going with this is when we hear the word of God, This is the word of God. We are listening to God. That, in effect, is a type of prayer because what's prayer? It's listening to God and it's speaking to God. And so as we hear these words, especially these words in the Sermon on the Mount, what happens is we know what kingdom living is. Kingdom living is giving generously. Kingdom living is praying fervently, knowing that God cares about us more than we can imagine. And he's already heard our prayer before we prayed it. And it means fasting. We're going to talk about that next week. And it means so much more. But as we live into those lives of prayer, let's start right there. Live into those lives of prayer, everything changes. And so that's why today's next step is I will pray expecting God to release his kingdom power through me this week. Now imagine what that's going to look like as you pray expecting that God's kingdom power is going to be released. First thing that's going to happen is you're going to draw closer in fellowship with him. And hopefully in fellowship with other believers around us. Imagine how God is going to empower us as we pray for people that we love to have resources that they need to have healing in their lives. To be delivered from the pain and the evil that's going on in their lives. Imagine what will happen when we think about the Lord's Prayer. And it's not just words to be said. You know, 29 in the first half and 54 in the second half seemingly. Those number of words... But it will actually be our Father, Heavenly Father, who's holy and perfect. And as we go through each of those aspects, thank you, God, for your daily provision. Thank you for the clothes I have, the house I have, the car I drive. Thank you for my work. Thank you for, as we do that, it will change us. That's Jesus' plan from the inside out. And it all starts when we pray. When we pray. Amen?
So let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are so many realities that we find when we open up your word. And when we hear the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, each little segment offers us the opportunity for renewed life and new life and power that, um, that we probably can't really imagine. We thank you so much that even as we're praying right now, you already knew what we were going to say. Even as we're praying right now, you're already know what, you already know what's best for us. So God, I pray today that you'd pour your Holy Spirit into us new and fresh. God, I pray that as we go out of this place today, as we, whatever we do the rest of the day, that we would be connected to you, listening to you, speaking to you, thanking you, praising you, petitioning you. God, just in prayer, there is so, so much that we can learn and live. And most of all, God, we thank you that no matter when, where, or how we pray, that you're listening and that you will respond with what's best for us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.